Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I am thankful that you have tuned in to listen, thankful that you have given me the opportunity to teach God's Word. So what we're going to talk about today is some financial advice. Before we get into our Bible discussion, I want to remind you that Thursday this week, and this being the 4th of July, is going to be the first Thursday of July, which means there is an extra podcast coming out this week. It is a podcast that one of the brethren here and I have recorded. His name is Scott Hamilton, and we're going to be talking in that podcast about going door-to-door with the gospel in El Paso. So I hope you will take advantage of this week and the extra podcast uh, and be able to tune in on Thursday or at least download it and get it ready to go for the next time that you listen to this podcast. So to our subject for today, some financial advice. So should you, using your Bible, look into growth stocks, bonds, certificates, Should you be a real estate investor? Should you look into a Roth IRA? Should you invest in gold? Should you look at dividend stocks? Or should you give more on the first day of the week? Because that's the authority we have from the scriptures. The only time in the scriptures the church is recorded of taking up a collection of the members is on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4. Which of those is the best financial means to go at? Well, hey, listen. We're going to have a balanced podcast today, and let me set your mind at ease right now. I'm not really going to be talking about stocks and bonds and real estate and gold and things of that nature, but principles from the Bible, things to consider, and it's a balanced approach. I'm not going to tell you, like some preachers out there falsely teach, that You ought to give all your money to the church or to them individually, nor am I going to go to another extreme where you ought to put all your money into some sort of financial investment to store up for the future, nor am I going to hit on some of the grounds where people might take different uh, viewpoints like it's wrong for you to even think about having money. I'm not going to be teaching that because we're going to go from the scriptures and we're going to see that there is balance in the scriptures. And I am not going to go down some road that's going to get you to be carnally minded and that's going to get you to focus on physical wealth because there's dangers in that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off our podcast, and I want you to listen to the whole thing, because sometimes people will take a Bible lesson, and they'll listen to parts, and they'll say, I don't like the direction that you are going with this. I'm telling you from the jump, this is going to be a balanced Bible study. We're not going to take some form of a view, because I don't take personal views. I study the whole Bible, and then collect that information, and then teach the conclusions that you draw from that subject matter based on all the scriptures that you can study that relate. I'm not necessarily going to go through every one of those scriptures, but I'm going to show you that there is a balance, okay? But we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, Timothy is an evangelist. Paul is writing to him. I think it's very important to note this. Uh, Today, it it is a popular thing among the world of fake religion to teach the prosperity gospel 
If a man is a true faithful evangelist, a true faithful preacher of God's Word, his focus, now notice that word, focus, focus cannot be on material wealth. This is what we're going to draw from what Paul wrote to Timothy and what he teaches him to teach regarding these things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the first two verses deal with servants and masters. Verse 3 is where we're going to pick up. It says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Notice this statement. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So right away, and we're going to keep reading here, but, but right away, supposing that gain is godliness. When somebody takes the Bible and they're going to teach you that Christianity is a monetary focused religion and that God wants you to have material wealth and that that is godly. Paul, an inspired apostle with authority to teach, told Timothy that from such people he needs to withdraw himself. He goes on, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, that is, those people that desire material wealth, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's balance in this verse, by the way. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. And it doesn't say that people that have money have erred from the faith. It talks about those who have coveted after. Those balance points are very, very, very important to recognize in God's Word. So in verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto, or until, rather, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Notice we come back to finances. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now this is very important. You're not going to hear. So listen carefully. You are not going to hear 
charge them then in this world to give all of their money to the church or give all their money to some evangelist, preacher, elder, or whatever other identifier that person use. doesn't say if you're rich, you need to part with all your funds. Now, there are people that will use Acts chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 and teach that you are to give everything. Well, in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5, there was a unique situation which I hardly should say will ever be duplicated on earth again, where in Acts 2, Jews had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and they heard the first sermon of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was preached on earth, and they obeyed the gospel. They that received the word were baptized and added unto them about 3,000 souls, Acts 2.41. Now, here's the thing. At that time, there was one congregation on earth. So all those people who obeyed the gospel stayed in Jerusalem, but they weren't from Jerusalem, not all of them. So the people that were from Jerusalem had to pull their funds and resources together to support their now brethren in Christ. That's a unique situation. Yes, they parted their goods as every man had need. What you're going to see in 1 Timothy 6.17 is there are, that the implication, there are people that are rich in this world that are Christians. When you look at the New Testament, there were people like Philemon who had slaves, who had property. The church met in his house. By implication, he had some form of material wealth. How much? We don't know, but enough. So the unique situation, Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5, not being duplicated today, doesn't mean if you're rich in this world that you need to give up all your money. So Paul tells him, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now that's an important balance point. If you're wealthy, you can, without guilt, enjoy your wealth as long as you don't trust in your wealth. Further instruction in verse 18 and 19 says that they do good. So if you're wealthy, do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. So what if you have a brother in need? Well, then you want to help your brother in need. Like we see in Acts 11, 27 through 30, where brethren sent aid to poor saints in Jerusalem. Good. Like you see in 2 Corinthians chapters 8, and 8, 1 through 9, 13, where the churches in Corinth and brethren throughout other areas came together and sent money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay? And by the way, if you read those contexts, there was to be equality, not you go broke to help. No, they pulled their funds together so that there wasn't an over, um, overly burdened uh, on one individual or congregation. So verse 18, that they do good and be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This is an important thing because we're going to be reading uh, something later that's going to talk about laying up our treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that? 
with material wealth. Verse 18 that we read, doing good, rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's how you're laying up treasure in heaven. It's not give more to the church. I've heard, I've heard when we get to that verse, I've heard that used so many times by uh, men to draw more funds uh, on the first day of the week collection. That's not the correct application of that particular verse, but we'll get to that uh, momentarily. You can be wealthy, balance point, but know how to be content. Know how not to trust in that wealth. Because as a Christian, your focus should not be on physical inheritances, should be on heaven. In 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This is a great thought process here. An inheritance that's incorruptible, why? Because I can invest in stocks and bonds and real estate and dividends and gold or whatever the case may be. But you know what? The market changes. My material wealth, your material wealth, whatever and however we invest whatever little or much funds you have to try to grow those funds, the market changes. You can go from a little to nothing in a rather quick period of time. And history shows us that with stock market crashes, with depreciation and devaluing of property, etc., etc., etc. So our focus is supposed to be on things above. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, so if Christ is your life, living is about Him, shall appear, then you shall also appear with Him in glory. That has to be the focal point, okay? Now, balance that. You still have to provide for yourself, and if you have a family, for your family. In a context dealing with what widows... Uh, ought to be aided and how and by whom. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. We have a responsibility to provide for ourselves and for our families. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, uh, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy said to the saints in Thessalonica, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. To provide for yourself is an expectation from God, not to be a burden on others, to do your own work. That, of course, qualified that we know there are people that can't. That's a whole different category, a whole different discussion. We're talking about people who can, able-bodied people, need to work. They need to earn their wages. A Christian can look at a physical job as a way in which to lack nothing, and that's not sinful. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says that you study to be quiet, do your own business to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them with or without, and that you may have lack of nothing. You can look at, and I'm going to come back to this point, you can look at working to earn money as a means not to lack. 
as long as your focal point is correct. And there's a balance. There's a difference and a balance between material and spiritual wealth. Now, I made mention of a verse. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 6 now. And uh, I want you to think carefully about what we're going to read. We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And, you know, if you, if you back up in the context, Matthew 5 it really starts this. Uh, in verse 1, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So he's talking to his disciples. He's teaching them. Matthew 6, 19 through 34 records our Lord as teaching the following. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you invested in? This goes back to our earlier points in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 and Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Are you invested in eternity or are you invested on earth? If you're a real estate investor, if you're in the stocks and bonds, how much time are you spending looking at the market? How much time are you looking at when to buy, sell, when to trade, when to hold, and all these different things that are taking your mind away from spiritual things? How much of your mindset is on the carnal because that matters, if your mind is carnal, Romans 8, 5 through 8, it's impossible, please God. Paul couldn't even teach the Corinthians about things they needed to hear because they were yet carnal, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. So we got to balance this, right? We got to be able to balance. I need to work to eat. I need to work to provide. I need to work so that I have lack of nothing. At the same time, I need to balance that with contentment so that my attention is not taken away from what is truly necessary and important, and placed too heavily on things that will corrupt and fade and fall. So where my treasure is, there's where my heart's going to be also. Where do you invest it most in? Material or spiritual things. Not that material investment's wrong. You know, we saw that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as long as it's balanced the right way. When we look through 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 19, we see that balance, right? So Verse 22, uh, Matthew 6 and following says, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. What are you focused on? But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one, love the other, or else will hold the one, despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So he tells his disciples from that definitive statement, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they uh, spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass that is in the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? 
For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first. Here's our balance. It's not, take no thought is more like don't be anxious over, okay? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. If I'm putting the kingdom first, not just God, but the kingdom, so all that is in the kingdom, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters in Christ, etc., etc. If I'm putting all that first, everything is going to line up the right way because that's the way God designs it. And part of that is I know within the kingdom that I'm expected if I will not work, neither will I eat. So he then tells him in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I heard this great sermon on Sunday. Um, every once in a while here in El Paso, one of the uh, brethren here will do the preaching. And it was on redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Looking at uh, how you use your time. And really the th thrust of the lesson, it was presented, uh, by the way, by Scott, who's going to be in the podcast on Thursday. So this is his week for teaching, right? Uh, and, and he was talking about, you know, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And what he was really trying to impose upon us down here in El Paso is the congregation here is at a time of peace, and he was trying to get us all to think, and I thought, thought, thought it was a very good thought uh, about taking this time where this congregation is in a good place, spiritually speaking, to grow spiritually and, and, and uh, to put our focus on those things that we need to get stronger. Um, well, you know, great lesson. Redeem the time. Think about the value of time. But you have to balance that. And I thought the lesson was well-balanced. You have to balance that with time and chance happens to us all. Ecclesiastes 9.11, that there are things beyond your control. You may think, and, and you know, listen, sometimes people will hear a, a preacher preach something, and they'll say, he doesn't understand. <laughs> well, listen, I understand the struggle of finances much more than you can imagine. And I feel on a daily basis, and I have to, you know, lessons like this are good for me. When, when I'm teaching and preaching, I'm teaching and preaching to me too. Uh, a lot of lessons I teach and preach. Uh, and, and the men here will tell you uh, when I work with them on how to teach, I always tell them, start with yourself. Talk to you, then to others. Um, always do that self-examination uh, process. Well, you know, as an evangelist, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am financially dependent on my brothers and sisters in Christ for my financial support. And that's right. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14, uh, it teaches that among as well as other scriptures like Philippians 4, 10 through 18, etc. Um, if you wanted to look those up and study those, 1 Corinthians 9, 14 talks about those that uh, preach the gospel, live of the gospel. And so I'm dependent on my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, um, you know, I, I work with a small group of people. Um, I'm not materially uh, wealthy. And, and I turn back a, a good portion of my support to the Lord's work uh, oftentimes. Uh, so I understand that. And I think about my family, my wife and, and my daughter primarily, whom, you know, my, my boys are grown and on their own, able to take care of themselves. 
But I think about my wife and, and my daughter and all the physical challenge that we have, having a mentally retarded uh, child, and, and my wife has her own physical ailments that she deals with. We have medical expenses. Both of us have health problems. We both have to take medications, all these different things, and they weigh on me. Uh, but what I choose to do is to keep my focus on things that I can control, which is my relationship with God. Um, you know, w one of the investments we made is the purchase of a house um, back in, I think it was 2005, 2006, 2006. And it was the first time we purchased a house, and we thought that that was a good investment for the future. We just did not foresee all the repairs that we'd have to continually make on the house, which continually to eat up funds and eat up funds and eat up funds. And if I'm not careful, I can become overly stressed about that. And I've got to bring myself back to take no thought, take no thought, take no thought. And, and I've got to remind myself of these things uh, or else I would end up going and pursuing secular work where I might be able to make more money than I do preaching the gospel of Christ, where I would be able to have insurance that I don't have to pay for myself, where I would not be self-employed where I would have Social Security in the future. I do not have Social Security in my future. I opted out and back in 1999. Uh, evangelists have that opportunity to do so because I understand the church is supposed to take care of me, and that that's the way the Scriptures put it, and I did not uh, put into Social Security. So all of that being said, don't, don't sit back and listen to this podcast and say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe more than you do. I understand the stress of finances, and I could go on for a long time telling you more and more and more about the concerns that I have uh, physically, but I have to ground myself. Take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow may not even come. I, I don't need to worry about this, that. I just need to take measures within reason to do the best that I can to provide for my family, and you have to balance that. Now, I want to balance more and more of this lesson and bring some things to your attention. Again, I want to remind you that wealth in itself, if you're sitting on a boatload of money or gold or stocks or bonds, that's not sinful. When you look at the Bible, I mean, Abraham, through whom the promise of Christ originated, Genesis 12, through his seed, all the nations of the earth being blessed, Genesis 12 through 22, Abraham was wealthy. But aside from that, look, look over at Psalm 112. Here's a, a chapter of the Bible that says, Praise ye the Lord, blesses the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light and darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desires upon his enemies. He hath dispersed. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Here's a wealthy individual being addressed who is materially, quote unquote, blessed, right? Righteous with God. 
balancing it with what we've already looked at. This man is not at odds with God. Now, having said that, the danger of just using one text is that there are 66 books in the Bible. You could take Psalm 112 and say, well, God wants me to be wealthy. Mm, but here's the balance point. Depends on who you are, <laughs> how you will handle that wealth. Because there are other scriptures that teach us the danger for some people that comes with material wealth. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, when he was gone forth into the way, speaking of Jesus, there come one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. And by the way, I have two podcasts in the past on this uh, text. I think we used Luke's account, but might go and look those up if you've not listened to all the podcasts. And, and Mark 10, 19, he says, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And answer said to him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then said Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now notice what Jesus teaches from this. Mark 10, 23, beginning. Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith to them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches, there's the key, right? To enter in the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So, Psalm 112, wealth is not a bad thing. Righteous man can be wealthy, but it's harder to go to heaven. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them with men, it is impossible with God, or all things are possible. Now, Peter then, in, in verse 28, began to say in him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and land, with persecutions, and the world to come, eternal life. But many there first shall be last, and the last first. So when you take that whole answer into consideration, it's harder to be wealthy and to go to heaven. You still can prosper in this world, but with that prosperity will come persecutions. But the focus is in the world to come, eternal life. So from that, we learn, like we talked about in 1 Timothy 6, not to covet wealth. In Luke 12, 13 through 21, one of the companies said unto him, unto Jesus, that is, Master, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto him, Take heed and beware of covetousness. So here's the topic of the parable that we're about to get to. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. 
There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Oh, there it is. See, you, you see Matthew 6, 19 through 34 there. You see 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 19 there. You see the cautions, the warning. The understanding that material wealth, it comes and it goes. And Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Labor not to be rich. Do you hear that instruction? Cease from thine own wisdom. Will thou set thy eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Money comes and goes. Wealth, possessions, they come and go. If you were to gain wealth, just don't trust in it, nor set your heart upon it. In Psalm 62, 10, Trust not in oppression, become not vain and robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. There is a fall ahead for the person who trusts and leans upon material possessions and wealth. In Proverbs 11 and verse 28, He that trusteth and his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And you see that not only with individuals, but even with entire congregations. There are seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation. And one of them is the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, unto the messenger or the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm... And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness doth not, do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcome it will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the collective body in Laodicea trusted in their material wealth. And they did not realize that they, spiritually speaking, we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what you don't want to be. You don't want to be the person that works hard, earns a good living, that has lack of nothing, like we talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12, but then trust in that wealth so that you separate yourself from your relationship with God. The scriptures give us clear warnings, like love not the world. And that's balanced. I'm going to balance it. Watch how we go through some scriptures here. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Great three verses. I have notes on these. If you look up uh, under New Testament studies, 
on my website in 1 John 2. In fact, we're going through uh, 1 John here in, in our 90-minute uh, Sunday morning Bible study as a congregation in El Paso right now. We're, we're This coming Sunday, we'll be likely finishing 1 John 2. I say likely because sometimes we have a 90-minute Bible study and we get through one verse because we got just a lot of great, wealthy, scriptural discussion. Oh, it's just good stuff. Now, not loving the world. Okay, so, so what some people do with instructions like this is they'll say, you're loving the world because you're trying to purchase something or because you're taking care of your house or because you keep your vehicle clean and maintenanced or whatever. I've heard all kinds of different people. No, 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 no. Listen, not loving the world does not mean that you can't enjoy things in this world. In Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at a few different contexts and then come into the New Testament as well. In Ecclesiastes 2.24, says, There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy good and his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, What profit hath he that worketh and wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. We look at scriptures like that. I can enjoy, you can enjoy the fruit of our labor. We can take time for leisure. Even Jesus took time to get away and to eat. In Mark 6, 30-32, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. We can take time. We can eat. We can enjoy the things that we have earned in this life, and you don't have to feel guilty about that. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. You can love life and you can see good days. Do you hear that? It's authorized, okay? Years ago, uh, we had a gentleman visiting with the congregation here in El Paso. And he was asking me questions about the financial support of an evangelist. Well, we began, and I kind of discussed some scriptures with him and talked to him about, you know, how when the disciples went out in Matthew chapter 10, as well as Luke 9 and Luke 10, they were dependent upon those that they were teaching to supply uh, what was needed for them to live in this world, to supply uh, the, the, the things that they needed. They weren't, weren't expected to go out and do both. We turned to 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14 that I mentioned earlier, and we looked at the support of evangelists there. And of course, that even references how the Levites under the old law uh, lived of the things, the sacrifices and the offerings that were given uh, to God. They, they ate of the sacrifices and all the offerings that were given was how they had their living so that they could work on the things with the tabernacle. And then later when the temple was built of the temple and the priests and so forth, Levites, of course, uh, were all supported that way. First Corinthians 9 just lays all that out. 
talked to him about how Paul was teaching in Corinth and he took wages of, robbed wages of other churches to do them service uh, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8. And we looked at these scriptures and we talked about them, talked about the church of Philippi support, supporting Paul, Philippians 4, 10 through 18. And then he asked me this question. He said, so what if this congregation grew to be great in number? I don't remember the number that he gave me, but the number they gave me, my first response was, well, if it grew to be that number, I'd be afraid that I've all of a sudden started teaching some false doctrine because few are saved, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Many are called, but few are chosen, Matthew 22 and verse 14. Um, I, I, I would be concerned. <laughs> so that was my first response. Uh, but then from there, he said, no, what if the contribution increased and there were no poor saints, no widows indeed uh, to take care of? And even if you had elders, they didn't need financial support. Uh, the things that are authorized to be used uh, from the collection taken upon the first day of the week, and, and we talked about all that. And he said, what would you do if the congregation here could pay you? And he gave me some extreme number. And I said, I'd, I'd be grateful. That'd be great. I, I'd be able to pay off debts and you know put some money aside in case something were to happen to me, fix the house, because that's a yearly problem for me. Uh, I'd be able to do good things. I'd be able to do more work. Uh, be able to print some things off and distribute, and I'd, I'd, that'd be awesome. And he said, you wouldn't feel guilty of that at all. And I said, well, let me ask you. Um, now, this is a hard thing because this gentleman doesn't work anymore, but I said, if you were working a job and your boss came up to you and said, you know, we're going to quadruple your annual salary, would you look at him and be like, nah, I'm good? Well, no. And I said, so why are you giving me a different standard? Well, I guess for some reason, he thought that an evangelist could not balance material wealth and contentment. And, and then I reminded him, uh, go read 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's written to an evangelist who needs to be able to balance material things with contentment. And if I can't do that, then there's more problems than, than money. Uh, how could I be teaching the Word of God without self-control and contentment? Uh, you know, one of the indicators of a false teacher is that they look at people as merchandise, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, which again ought to be a concern. And we had that discussion, and, and I think he, this individual was really unreasonable with it. Listen, whether you're an evangelist or a member of the body of Christ or you're a person who has yet to be converted... It's the love of money. It's the lack of contentment. It's the inability to trust in God over wealth that is biblically sinful. It is not on its own wealth. Uh, you have to be able to put that forth. I, I knew a man that preached at one point. He has since fallen away. Uh, but he preached at one point, and he had a considerable amount of material wealth, and it was not... Uh, from the support that he received uh, from preaching the Word of God. And there were times where he and I would talk, and he would express to me uh, privately, uh, you know, how people would look at him and say things like, it, it must be nice that you have this. And my counsel to him was always, yeah, just look back at him and say, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I mean, why do you feel guilty about having material 
wealth. No, nobody should be made to feel guilty about material wealth because the scriptures give you the authority to enjoy the things that you have in this world. Within marriage, even, there's a level of authorized carnality. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 7, 31 through 34, and the balance is here. Like, the balance is in the text. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 31 through 34, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. Did you hear that? Use it, but don't abuse it. He goes on to say, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. Now, you remember earlier we read, love not the world, right? Well, here it's saying, cares for things of the world. How then he might please his wife. Not love the world, but your focus on the world. Why? Because you're pleasing your wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. There's a authorized care for things of the world. Balance is what is necessary. I wanted to come back to a point I mentioned earlier. Look at finances as a means to an end, not an end, as a means to an end. And 2 Thessalonians 3, we talked about verse 10, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. Verses 11 and 12 says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Work to supply. Labor has a purpose. Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit, but the top talk of lips tendeth only to penury. Proverbs 28 and verse 19 he that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. You work it, you gain from it. There's other things too, like we read in 1 Timothy 6 about being willing to distribute. Paul said in Acts 20, 30, 34, and 35 to the Ephesians, as he's meeting with them, set up a meeting with the elders, met with them, says, Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. So he worked, he labored. And to them that were with me, I've showed you in all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul, at times, getting financial support from brethren and from congregations, also had to compensate uh, with labor so that he could have the funds necessary to take care of himself. And then he showed them, it's better to give than to receive. And Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So when you put all that together, if you're taking care of your family, and you have met all your needs, and you have enough to help others, you're prospering pretty well. You're doing well. You're doing good. When Paul, and I know I've referenced Philippians 4, 10 through 18, uh, multiple times just in quick reference, I trust that you're able to go look up verses and you can write them down or, or remember them. But in that context, Paul said that um, Philippians 4, 11 and 12, not that I speak in respect of want, 
For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. There are times where Paul had an abundance and times when he lacked. What he kept, whether he had more than he needed financially or less than he needed because it's a context of financial support from Philippi, whether he had too much or too little, he kept contentment. That's where he was. That's what he taught. And that's the key. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, let your conversation or your conduct, in other words, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for you. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Contentment. You have to be able to have some self-control to be content. In Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never fools. So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. There are people that they get things, they get new things, but those things just are not enough for them. They're not enough, and they just want more and more. Paul, if you were to go on to read there in Philippians chapter 4, like we talked about, and read that, he's instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. He says, I understand contentment, essentially. I know how to have more than I need, and I know how to lack. Well, can you balance living in a mansion with living in a shed? <laughs> That's the key, right? Could you maintain your relationship with God with an overabundance as well as like Christ when he was on earth, nowhere to lay your head? You know, we taught that in Luke 9, 57 through 62. Somebody wants to follow him. Foxes have hold, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Do you have that balance, that ability that if everything's taken from you, your relationship with God is unaltered, unchanged. You know how to both suffer need and have an abundance. For some people, and this is where self inspection is necessary to examine yourself, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. For some people, like that rich young ruler, he needed to sell all that he had, give to the poor and follow Jesus because he trusted in his wealth. He loved his money. That individual, for his salvation, could not be wealthy. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the type of person that if you had, you would just want more. I, one of the illustrations I use locally a lot in teaching, I, I like sports. I like football. Uh, I like to watch college football. I like to watch pro football. And sometimes I get a little less interested because of all the other stuff that goes on with it. Um, sometimes when, when sports become political, it becomes disinteresting to me. But when they're not, I like to watch um, and I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, and I remember a few years ago, uh, a guy that's not on the roster anymore, running back, I'll just say that, won't blast him by name, but if you follow football, you know who I'm talking about. He held out. He wanted more money. Now he's not playing. Why? Because he wants more money. And he hurt the team because he wants more money. And sometimes that just gets so frustrating Guy gets paid millions of dollars to do something that is fun, enjoyable, a game, a game that I like to both play and observe, and making 
a lot of money to do it, plus endorsements and all these other things, and he just wants more. Well, not just money. You watch players who win championships, and you watch their career, and it starts off with, I just want to make the pros. And then, it, and then it turns into, I just want to make it to the playoffs. And then it turns into, I want a championship. Then they get that first championship. And what is it? Right away, turn around. I want another championship. And I want another championship. And I want the MVP. And I want the, there's no contentment. That type of person, that type of person is what you want to avoid being. Can you be good with a brand new, bigger house? Or will that become your God? Will you become covetousness? Covetous, I should say. You can't allow materialism to become your God. Ephesians 5.5 5 says, For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's idolatry. Wealth can become your God. It does with individuals, the rich fool, Luke 12, 13-21 that we read about, and it has with congregations, Laodicea and Revelation 3, 14 through 22, that we read about. You have to balance it. So that's my financial advice. Examine yourself. How much do you need to live in this world? How much can you want to be in this world without that want interfering with your relationship with God? At what point will you lack contentment? That's for you to decide. The Lord leaves that up to your inspection of your own self, and thus I will do the same. That's scriptural financial advice. I hope that that has been a useful study for you and that I've given you some things to think about. If I've given you questions or you just have questions that are unrelated to this podcast, call me. My phone number is 915-525-5794. I'd love to talk to you. You can email me, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. Contact me by clicking on links there. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get some feedback on the podcast if you'd reach out to me. If you're anywhere near El Paso, Texas, I'd meet you in person. We can sit down and study. We can have a good conversation. Uh, we can look at the scriptures. The scripture is going to be the standard. I won't argue with you. We'll look at what God says, rightly divide it, and then you can take it or leave it. Just like the nature of these podcasts are. Whatever subject it is, you would want to discuss. If you're in a foreign country, uh, Poland, I don't know who you are from Poland and and I know there are a lot of people in Africa that are listening to the podcast. Appreciate all the support uh, of the podcast. And I don't mean that monetarily. This podcast is not funded by anybody but me uh, through the support that I receive as an evangelist from my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, when I speak of support, I'm just meaning people that are listening. Uh, uh, Australia, you have people from UK, from Canada, from Mexico, and almost all 50 states uh, appreciate so much those of you that tune in and listen. Some of you do so on occasion. Some of you do so regularly. Uh, reach out to me. But if you're anywhere near me, if you're, you're out here in West Texas or New Mexico, we got some listeners in New Mexico, uh, 
if you're in, you're in Oklahoma, got some listeners in Oklahoma, if you'd like to study, we can, we can arrange a way to do that in person. Thank you so much for listening. Again, remember, Thursday, come and listen to me and Scott, or I should say Scott and I, uh, talking about uh, going door to door here in El Paso and be a scriptural discussion. You also hear about some of the experiences that we had, and I hope you enjoy that. Thank you again. Till next time.